0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello, welcome back to the Claret Blue podcast. My name is Dan and It wouldn't be an Aston Villa versus Everton match preview without me mentioning that this is the most paid fixture in English football, so let's get that out of the way first of all. Everton are unbeaten in all competitions so far this season, whilst Aston Villa are yet to lose at Villa Park. Today, I'm joined by Patrick Rowe and David Hughes. So, gents, how are we?
1: I'm good, thank you. I'll be better if we win on Saturday, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, and David, you surely won't want to hear that. Uh, how are you, mate? You're all right, thanks for coming on.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll uh, be the opposite of Villa win on Saturday. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm really good, thanks. And uh, no, it's always good to come on these podcasts. Then, know, I'm not just saying I genuinely enjoy it, so
0: cheers, <laughs> mate. No, thanks very much for coming on. Um, let's get stuck into it then. We'll start from from the Villa end. Um, Dean Smith's had his press conference this morning. and Pat, as we always say on these previews, I don't learn a massive amount from Dean Smith's press conferences, which is you know, Villa's prerogative. They don't have to come out and give away everything. Uh, the main talking point, I guess, is, is the two Emmys from Argentina who don't report back to Villa until tomorrow morning um, due to the COVID restrictions and, and quarantining in Croatia. So we can probably afford Buendia not getting in there, seeing as we've got so many creative options up front. But Martínez is the big one, isn't it? Would you expect him to come straight back in and start? And if you were the boss, he turns up at nine o'clock tomorrow, does he play at half five on the same day after not training with the squad all week? And and do you stick with steer? How would you assess that?
1: Um, I backed steer before the Chelsea game, but I'm going to be honest, he didn't fill me with too much confidence going into (laughs) in the Chelsea game. But um, I think they've been training over in Croatia. So I would be, as long as it's not like really late notice before the uh, game on Saturday, I would be putting Martinez back in. But maybe you can afford to not play Buendir straight away, maybe give him half an hour at the end of the game or something Mm -hmm. to play. Troy and Bailey that have been around the team for the past few weeks.
0: I think Martinez is too important not to include, isn't it, that they knew when they went away to international duty, they kind of targeted Everton, that they missed international games with Argentina to come back for this game. So, you know, even with him getting back tomorrow morning, it, it should still be the plan that he goes straight in there. Um, David, obviously, you you are an Everton fan, but we'll, we'll ask your opinions kind of as a neutral as well. If this was a, an Everton situation, would, would your number one goalkeeper be coming straight back in, even if they only arrived back at training on match day?
2: Uh, for me personally, yeah. I think it's such an important position. Uh, mm-hmm. I think if you look at the impact Martinez has had over the last 12 months, it's been massive, hasn't it, really? You know, turned what was a little bit of a problem position for Villa into one of the strongest, really, uh, mm-hmm. sitting on the last season. So I think that the confidence and trust that he's gained from his teammates, from the manager, I think he's the type of profile that if you can get him back into the side, he needs to go back in. Um, you know, especially given the position as well, goalkeeper. Um, it's the intricacies in terms of like play and you know what happens outfield isn't really as applicable. You know, it's a little bit more straightforward as a role, isn't it? Being the goalkeeper, you know, you've got to <laughs> you've got to keep the ball out of the net. So yeah, I think if if that was my decision, I'd be I'd be bringing them back in, um, irrespective of the circumstances.
0: As always, later on in the show, we'll try and put a, a Villa eleven together. But as we were last week, Pat, we were kind of second-guessing everything. You yeah. actually predicted a three-at-the-back formation last week against Chelsea. and yeah. I sat there and said, oh, don't talk talk rubbish, and that's <laughs> what we went with. So, we'll come to you for your wisdom later. Um, from the Everton's perspective, David, before we get stuck into the, the kind of meat and bones of what Everton are this season and what kind of style of player they've got, tell us a little bit about Rafa Benitez. So, obviously,
2: Benitez come into a little bit of a hostile uh, environment. I must say, I think it was... There was definitely a portion of the fan base that didn't want him, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I do think it was maybe uh, amplified a little bit by the media. I think there was plenty <laughs> you could see some some benefits of bringing him in. Um, the, the obvious ones was he's a really good coach, really good t- tactician. Uh, I think if you look at Ancelotti, huge name, very successful manager. But... I immediately had reservations. You know, we talked about it on the um, one of the analysing Everton shows that we do for the Liverpool Echo. Um, at the time when he come in, there was a fear that you know, had he had he worked on a project like Everton's before? Uh, if he had, it hadn't been for a very long time. I think he's a great man manager. Everybody talks about him being a fantastic man manager. I think when you have the very best players, that's all you need to be. You just need to manage the egos, create a good dressing room, and those players will go out and and be the best I never, never, don't have that you know similar size club to Villa you know good players but not fantastic players across the board and I think Everton would really benefit and are benefiting from having a better coach uh, and that's what Benitez is he's a better coach of players uh, I think he's a little bit of a better tactician as well even being brutally honest and I think he just gets more out of this group, um, and although we're very early days, don't want to make any sort of sweeping statements. I think I think you're seeing that from the start that Everton have made that he's you know he's the type of player who sorry he's the type of coach you can't just get an extra ten or twenty percent out of this side.
0: How do you assess Everton, Pat? Because uh, David already has made a comparison between the two clubs. I think I think fans seemingly on, online anyway seem to have this bit of a soft spot for each other. That the comparisons in in like the family feel of the clubs, the size mm. of the clubs, um, you know. Like I said at the start of this, is the most player fixture, so we've both been around for for a long time as well. Uh, how do you assess Everton? It feels to me like Rafa Benitez is a better fit for them than, than Ancelotti would have been.
1: Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a, an enigma to be to be honest. When I look at like mm. the stats surrounding Everton, so obviously they've got the results, but you know, like they've got the second least amount of possession in the league, and they've still managed to like churn out these results. I think they're unbeaten in four. Had a similar start last season. It's it's quite impressive how they've done it, to be honest. But obviously, without DCL in the team, it's going to be. I think he's got. I think he averages one point one three expected goals like a game, which is the most in the league. So like having that kind of threat up front and losing that is obviously going to impact them, and it could change the game on Saturday, to be honest.
2: If you kind of look at the recruitment in the summer, um, it looked like we're going to basically play to to his strengths. Which is, you know, obviously as you should be. Uh, but you've got a player who's fantastic in the air, one of the best, really, in that position across the Premier League. Uh, you brought in two solid wide men. Uh, Demire Gray started really well. Andros Townsend raised a lot of eyebrows, but to be fair to him, he looks really motivated to do a good job, and and he's been doing it so far. So you've kind of recruited a little bit to get the, be- the best out of this play and then suddenly he's, you know, he's not available for these first few fixtures. So it's a big blow um, because he is a striker that gets in really good positions. Pat was just touching on that his underlying numbers are always really good. Uh, they were across the course of last season. If anything, there was a little bit of criticism that his, his finishing couldn't quite match it at the times. You know, it was he was very on par with his uh, with his XG numbers um, and there's a hope that if he can t- kind of get that more clinical elite level edge, you know, he can start outperforming them, but um, he's still young, and that'll come. Uh, but he's a big miss. I think the, the, obviously, he wasn't available for Monday's game against Burnley, though, and Everton minds to find a way to, to overcome Burnley, which I, I thought on paper was going to be a really tricky fixture uh, mm-hmm. because, again, it's just been mentioned, but so far, Everton haven't really been a team dominating possession. They've been quite happy to sit in, look to, you know, break on the counter in transitions and. Burnley, obviously a team that just give you the ball and and say, come break us down. Uh, So I I knew that was going to be a tricky fixture, but Everton come away with a 3-1 win. Um, So I think that that there was some good confidence to be taken from that game and uh, going into this one as well without DCL. Um, And of course, it's worth flagging that. Rondon's in and around the squad now. they brought him in. He's not yeah. a bad option uh, to, to meet him coming from the start. Who
0: knows? Yeah, I've actually done some notes for change and I was going to touch on your transfer business and I'll put raised eyebrows, which is exactly what you just said <laughs> there. So that, that's that's interesting. Um, your start, unbeaten in four, beat Southampton, Brighton, Burnley and drawn to lead. So you've not played any of the, the elite boys yet. Um, no. Obviously, I'm not saying that Villa are one of those. It's a, In a way, it's a kind start, but some difficult games in there and, and, and Everton have done well. Is Villa the, the toughest game you've, you've had so far this season because I feel like this is a game that is a bit of a measure of where both sides are at this season
2: yeah look it's it's definitely up there um, haven't looked okay going forward you know, I think touch not there but maybe only City Liverpool have had more shots on target you know but the fixtures have been okay you know, they have been fairly kind as, as you put it I thought Leeds was a really difficult fixture actually Leeds away um, first, first time they've had fans in uh, mm-hmm. Since the return to the Premier League, so that was a really tricky one. Uh, and Everton played really well on that day. On the day, should have probably won the game. Actually, um, Brighton. I thought Brighton was a really good win away at the Amex because, again, you know, Brighton a little bit underrated as a side. You know, that the team who do a lot of things right and maybe just don't always get on the right side of the results. So, I think those two were were, were good uh, good results against decent sides. But yeah, Villa away is it, it is going to be probably the biggest test so far um, and we're kind of having that indication of where they're at because you've got Villa and then I think Man United on the horizon and maybe not the next game, the one after. Um, so and it, looking at those two games in particular, if you can get results in them, uh, then you start thinking, OK, what what is the side capable of this year? But it's got to start on Saturday against... Uh, a tough, a tough side in Villa
0: from that Everton side. Who you know with that, with um, Calvert-Lewin missing is the obvious answer for who you'd be most concerned about. What's the kind of the key battle in this game? Do you think for for Villa to come out on top?
1: I well, just said like they're without DCL in this one, but um, I think they showed against Burnley that's like not like a one-sided team, not like they only have one option.
0: think oh, yeah, they changed
1: to a four-three-three in the uh, Burnley game at half-time and then changed the game on its head from there. So I think the key battles will be out wide with, as you said, Gray and um, Townsend, who have been particularly dangerous so far. But especially Gray, you know, three goals so far in the season and he's probably in the form of his life. And it's the added thing that he used to play for Blues. <laughs> so he's probably yeah. going to be a bit up for this one. But um, I think Matty Cash has won more tackles than any other defender in the league so far. So if he's on top form and keeping Gray out of the game, then I think then
0: uh, probably a bit of all the... Quite well. Is it as simple as that, David? Stop the wide men and stop Everton.
2: I don't know if it's as simple as that because um I think the midfield have done quite well. You know, I, I wasn't expecting much from. Kind of, I mean, Everton's formation has been a bit. It, it's it's such a small sample size. Obviously, four games. Um Benitez is the type who will quite happily adjust things. So Everton have kind of gone four four two. Then there's like four two three one. I think they've got four three three as well. But the uh, Alan and the core they've done have done well this season. Particularly the core, done pretty pretty well through the middle. Um, obviously he touched on Gray there. He played a fantastic ball leading up to Gray's goal uh, against Burnley. I think he's been one of Evan's star performers this year, so he could he could have a have a telling impact on the game, I guess. Um. But you are looking at the wide areas and going, Yeah, that that's probably where where the threat's coming from. Um, where Everton are looking quite dangerous. You got two really confident players. Townsend obviously scored a fantastic goal Monday, but he also got the assist from a wide area across into Michael Keane. Um so he's he's flying high confidence wise. And then as touched on by Pat Dirk Grace, you know, he started life really well at Everton. Um it's kinda of, it's he's in one of those runs, isn't he, where everything's just going for them, you know, he's he's converting the chances they're going in where maybe he didn't have that same luck elsewhere. Um, so yeah, if you if you can keep them quiet, maybe do do a number on the core as well. I think got a really good chance of, of winning the game.
0: I mentioned the transfer recruitment at the start of this. Villa's transfer recruitment is a very, very different strategy to, to Everton. I think you've spent you know a million, two million on Gray and, and the rest were uh, free transfer, sorry, they're going to spend ninety million on a couple of players we've not even seen yet. Which is <laughs> we don't really know what Villa's best eleven is yet. And we'll we will try and discuss that during this. So, you know, in years gone by it'd be well, stop jack stop jack Grier, stop Villa. Um it's a little bit more complicated than that now. So, who's, yeah. the kind of, who's the kind of danger man or the danger area for Villa, do you think? I know that Danny Ings and, and Everton, <laughs> um, he's, uh, he scores a few goals against you, doesn't he? He oh, loves it, loves it, genuinely.
2: Yeah. yeah, I think he was at Liverpool for, say, two or three years, injured for two of them, but still minds to score a derby goal. He just, uh, <laughs> he, he, he loves playing Everton. So, look, look, I thought Villa's recruitment was really good. I, you know, I, I don't want to kind of carry on um, talking about things that you've, I imagine, cover to the nth degree. Uh, But, from an outsider looking there, I thought the recruitment was really good under difficult circumstances in in losing Grealish, I think. You know, you you can see method, can't you, behind the recruitment where there's that evidence. I don't think that's always been the case, kind of being um, manager signings and when you're chopping changing change managers, you end up getting this kind of misfit squad. Uh, but Villas has looked really good for a little while now. Buendia was obviously a really good move. Uh, Danny Ings, I think who else? I thought Bailey was a really good move. I wanted Devon to make a move for Bailey. It didn't quite happen.
0: Um, I, I'm
2: right in saying I think Bailey could be available for selection again against Devon. Is that right? Yeah, he's, uh, he yeah. came up
0: for sure, 20 minutes, 30 minutes he into Chelsea. So he's, he's fit and ready to go now.
2: Yeah, so he's, he's a concern because I think he's a, he's a really good player. Um, he showed that at, at, at Leverkusen um, I know at times things went a little bit stale for him but there was you know factors behind that um, I think he could be a problem so yeah there's a few names in there that I, I'm, I'm glad Wendy is not available um, and sure, well I assume he's not going to play well, surely
0: not yeah he's he's back with Martinez tomorrow morning but mm-hmm. because we've got so many options in those forward areas like me and Pat spoke before the Chelsea game talking about our best 11 and that I don't really know how you fit Buendia into that, which mm-hmm. is, is crazy yeah. considering he's the club record transfer. Yeah, um, it, it, Villa it, played three at the back against Chelsea, which, which you, you don't fit Bailey, Buendia, Trezeguet, Traore, El Ghazi into that at all. So mm-hmm. I don't know what Villa are at the moment, really.
2: <laughs> yeah, Everton had a similar issue actually when um, when they sold Lukaku to United. They, um, they sold Lukaku, they had a ton of money, plus they were invest in anyway, so they spent maybe 130 140 million and you're talking this was in 2017 so that's a large sum of money and what the there the was a little bit too many of the same profiles uh you brought uh david from ajax uh you brought wayne rooney but didn't bring wayne rooney as a number like nine he would come in as mm-hmm. another 10 i think nicola vlasic who's just gone to west ham a uh, really good player actually of the ones that left I was really disappointed to see him go and I'm not surprised he's come back to the Premier League Um, but yeah you just had too many of those same profiles it was a little bit difficult to get them in and then what you started doing is playing them out of position to get them in and you don't see the best from them and then you start getting unhappy players and it actually becomes a little bit of a headache as opposed to something that's beneficial to the side. So I'm not saying Villa are in that situation. I still think they've recruited well, but just touching on the point you were both making, I can understand what you're saying and uh, it can be hard to get everybody in.
0: But are we at risk of just trying to force all these new players and all these new creative signings into the side almost for the sake of it? I'm speaking, this is, wildly off topic but kind of it kind of relates to a certain extent um, for the job that we're doing I did a, a video for our Stoke colleague um, Pete Smith and he was talking about how they've got four strikers who can almost interweave and all come in and play as as like first choice as a two so he's sitting there saying well we, we play these we start with these two and then at 60 minutes we can swap them both for another two and you've almost got two different strike forces to play with okay. Now, is there something to be said that, you know, you've got Danny Ings or Ollie Watkins and rather than trying to squeeze them both in and force one of them out wide or or force someone to play in a number 10, that you leave Danny Ings there as your 60-minute option to come on and almost play two different styles of play in the same game? Or is that almost fantasy land and you you have to play these guys? I
1: was, uh, it's, it's difficult, as you said. It's uh, Danny Ings, I don't think, is coming to the club and on the basis that he's going to be sat on the bench. But if you're playing one up front in like a 4-3-3 or something, then as you showed in the first four games with Ings, I think he goes a bit, not missing, because obviously he's grabbing his goals, but it's not his true ability and it's not like what he's capable of, if that makes sense. And I do Mm -hmm. think if you're going to play one up top, that Watkins up top on his own is a lot more like involved and dangerous than Ings might be. Then again, Ings is uh, capable of dropping deep. He likes to play with someone up front. So it's about just not shoehorning, but yeah, shoehorning players in to try and get the best out of them. Because I don't think Villa can play like a 4-4-2 with two in midfield, especially in this game with DuCore and um, Alan in midfield. The thing, can I just add on that, the thing that that stands out for
2: me on that headache between those two is, I think you're right, I think, in terms of what Watkins brings to the side beyond the um, converting chances stuff is is probably a little bit more superior to Ings, but Ings is just an elite level finisher, isn't he? He's just proven mm. it now that he's just, you could probably better describe him as maybe a moments player where he could drift through the game for a little while because he's quite dependent on other players around him, but he's the one who just seems to convert the chances on a more consistent, better basis. And, that's a headache, isn't it? Because who do you go with there? Do you kind of go to, with the person who's maybe bringing a little bit more to the team over the course of a 90 minutes? Or do you go with the moments players just guaranteed to, you know, take those opportunities when they come? And um, I'd probably be inclined to go with the, the moments player in this situation, which is which is Ings. Not to say that Watkins can't convert. You know, he scored a decent amount of goals last season, didn't he? Yeah. Um, so I don't want to do him a disservice, but I just think Ings is showing that he's, he's right up with the, with the the elite of the elite um, in terms of his finishing capabilities and yeah again just a little bit of a headache how do you do that do you, have you got to try and find a way to get them both in the side but is that going to harm the harm the starting starting 11 is it going to impact the, the, the kind of tactics elsewhere That's yeah i don't know if i've got the answer to the top of my head you lads probably
1: know better than me because you watch villa every week that's the thing it's probably like our system currently isn't pro, like set up to get the best out of Ings, I don't think, because in his 24 goal a season for Southampton, he was getting like 35 touches a game. And I think it, against Chelsea, he had 14, and that was mm-hmm. up front with Watkins. So it was just like, obviously, they haven't found their best team yet, but. At the moment, we're not set up to get the best out of
0: Ings, I don't think. Yeah, well, we played a 3-5-2, didn't we, against Chelsea to, to match them. And uh, we lost 3-0, but in that first half, we were, we were playing well. And you can argue, you can make a case to say that you know, that, that formation did work and we, we nullified Chelsea to a certain extent. And you play that to play two up front to get the best out of Danny Ings and to fit him into the side and... You barely get to sniff. All yeah, and you you think that's kind of a waste. <coughs> but you know, obviously, that game is one isolated incident. If you know if Mendy's not having a, an absolute um, hot streak in goal, then, then Villa might probably nick mm-hmm. a couple of goals in that first half. So I'm not going to judge everything off the back of that. I've tried to put a, like a strongest eleven graphic together. I'm going to flash it up on screen now, David. I'll get your neutral um, thoughts on this as well. Now, I'm about to flash it up. But I'm looking at it. I just—I don't even agree with it myself, to be honest. So I've got back four of Target, Mings, Conte and Cash, a midfield three, because I don't think Villa can play two of McGinn, Ramsey and Louise And, and Ramsey's really kind of having a, a breakout season at the moment. And I think Ash said on his previous video that, that, that you know, he's probably saved Villa 20-odd million now on, on signing another midfielder. Beyond Bailey off the right side to, to come in and start games, Ings up front and Watkins off the left. You know, like you said, David, Watkins scored 14 goals last year. And if it's not for VAR and hitting the woodwork a few times, that could have been 16, 17. And from what Smith said, I just I just don't see him putting Watkins out there on the left. I think he could do a job there and, and still contribute. But maybe it's not as specific as Watkins as as the left winger. And it's just that he kind of starts out left and, and, and drifts in and is and expected to tra- track back a bit. I don't know. It just it just feels like we're, we're shoehorning them in for the sake of it. It feels a bit Steve Bruce to me to go. Well, we've got all these creative players. We have to play them all.
2: I mean, it's a long season, isn't it? So I guess you've got what you what you've added really is depth to the squad um, yeah. with these players. And uh, you know, without rehashing the same things that you'd, you'd say that the. the, the, the Which is what was talked about when the recruitment was happening in the summer wasn't it that obviously without grealish there was a huge drop off in the in the team's output and what they were capable of doing now you'd like to think maybe that although it might maybe a little bit lower um you'd be able to sustain um a kind of consistent level of attacking performances even if key players aren't available because you've got other options there i guess that's the benefit of it um but as a, just at this stage, with everybody available early into the campaign, it's just a little bit difficult to to ascertain which which way to go and um, you know how to keep everybody happy. I guess you know does Watkins, who's coming to the Premier League, done really well playing in that you know up top, do scoring as you said a lot of goals. Probably unfortunate not not to get one or two more. You know, is it going to impact his morale a little bit if he's then pushed out to the left and mm. and has to do a job there? Um, you're right. It, it you know, when it, when when Villa in possession could will that maybe I mean, off that graphic there, could that I don't know, look a little bit more like a like a four four two V drifts in and someone goes a little bit wider into his left area. You know, it, it, it's it's not static, is it? it, it mm, it's yeah. it's fluid, it will will change, so the opportunities could still be there, but like I said it just it doesn't feel like it's black and white at the moment.
0: How do you assess that eleven pack? Because I like the three-five-two against Chelsea. I feel like that that works well and it, it suits Villa to a certain extent. But then I don't see how you fit Benteke, Bailey, and Troy into a three-five-two unless one of them plays as a second striker. But that's what Ings and Watkins are for. So really? I just, I can't <laughs> make it Smith touched
1: on it on his uh, in his press conference and said he basically did that to like set up the opponent he was playing. So like playing Chelsea, they play through the back all the time. So I think in this one, I don't know what Everton are going to play, but I know they had some success in 4-3-3 in the second half, as I said. So Villa and Villa have looked good in that same system, so like second half of Watford, Newcastle. And I think the midfield three of Ramsey, McGinn and Louise is probably quite solidified at the minute, given how well Ramsey is playing and Louise has looked good since he's come back. And McGinn looks back to his best. But then again, the front three, yeah, I just have no idea what's going to happen. I'm the same as you, and I think... I don't think he's ever going to like shoehorn Watkins out wide. I think he's commented before and said, like, you've got a good striker, why would you push him out wide? But then again, I don't know if you drop Ings into like a playmaker role or something, I don't know. Or what what striker you want, not striker, winger you want tracking back because obviously Everton have posed such a threat on the counter and if they are going to just... Like, Ask us to come onto them and like us dominate possession. They'll probably be quite dangerous on the counter attack, like Watford were in the first half. So you need a winger that's like, ideally going to trap back and help cash and target as well. So if Wendy comes back in, it's probably because of that.
0: Is that what we need to look out for, David? An Everton four three three side that are going to come to Villa Park and, and try and counter counter attack us?
1: Yeah, and I'd, I'd
2: say so. I'd be very surprised if Everton went to Villa Park to try and dominate possession. Um yeah, I don't. Hence, why I was a little bit nervous about the in the game because we haven't really seen much of that. And whilst I don't think, I, I think to brand Benitez negative is is an unfair statement, uh, I definitely think he, he wants a side to be solid first and foremost and then maybe build from there. Um, you know, going into maybe a little bit extreme to say the lines then, but you know, Villa, we're still in that stage where fans are just getting back into the, into the grounds, aren't they? So I imagine Villa Park is going to be bouncing. Mm. Um, it feels like a really exciting game as well, you know, between two kind of fairly even sides. Um, so I expect it to be something that Villa fans will be right up for. Um, for that reason, I expect Everton not to really try and be the more dominating side. But yeah, you know, if if you think maybe not so much in the, in the right-back position anymore, although he still offers something Seamus Coleman, but if you look at the left-back position with Luka Dean, and this isn't bias, you know. I like to think quite objective, but he, he's one of the best in that position in the Premier League. He's uh, a, going forward, he's, he, he's a consistent threat. And, um, you know, his, his, his delivery is really good. Um, all different types as well. So, you know, dead balls in, in play. Um, he's good with acute passes or crossing balls into the box. He's just a consistent threat and he likes to get forward. So if you're potentially leaving him, uh, free reign a little bit or wingers are just switching up to his movements when the ball's turned over, he could punish you. Uh, obviously, it's a benefit for Villa that yeah, he's not he's not aiming the ball towards Calvert-Lewin. But on that side, you've got him, you've got Richarlison. You um, kind of drift over to the left or you you might see Richarlison just playing through the middle. Uh, he's he's really good in the air as well. So it's, uh, it is something that you need to be aware of uh, because he is type of player you can, you can punish it if, he's not, if he's not tracked
0: I just want to mention Taro um because Smith's been asked about him today in his press conference now some Villa fans might be sick of hearing about it after we spoke about him for, for five or six minutes last week so I want to skip forward ahead a couple of minutes feel free to do so Smith said he came into the dressing room and held his hands up he made a mistake and that happens in football he saved us many times before it's part of the game so yeah, I just want to get your your uh, neutral opinion on him and then we'll uh, we'll close the show
2: yeah, it's. I mean, look, it's really difficult for me, isn't it? Because um, I don't, I don't watch every every Villa game. You know, I don't watch full ninety minutes. Don't get to properly study you know the the things that other people are picking up on. Mm. Uh, from an outsider looking in, I've 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 always seen him as a fairly solid defender. To be honest, in fact I'm pretty sure with you and James, maybe six months ago, I, I said he's a defender that I really like on this show, um, or one of these shows um i haven't changed that much i can appreciate um what people are saying in terms of he's always got a mistake in them um but it, it's hard isn't it it's hard to be a modern center back because um it, it isn't just about hoofing the ball forward anymore you know it's about having a little bit more in possession i'm um, looking to be a little bit braver and it can be difficult because your mistakes are often punished because of where you are on the pitch you know you're in the in your defensive third. Um, if balls turned over there, it almost always leads to a, a dangerous attack. Um, obviously it got stung big time, didn't he last week? <sighs> I think he's still a really good defender. Um, and I think if he can just maybe cut 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 these out, I don't know what's causing them. Is it concentration? Maybe I don't know, but yeah, if I he can so. cut that out, yeah, because I I think if you remove them and judge judge him on his defensive capabilities, I think he's a good defender. You know, people can pick holes in, in likes of Southgate selection stuff, which they love to do. But I don't think he, he gets picked for the, the England team whilst playing for Villa. I don't mean that as disrespect to Villa, but it's always harder for us clubs outside the you know the kind of traditional top four, top six to get players into that England squad. For him to be getting picked in there and played as well, I think that's mm-hmm. a testimony to the the quality player he is. He's just maybe gone through a little bit of a turbulent spell. Um, and he just needs to try and if he can shake
0: it. We'll close with uh, score predictions then, David, again, we'll let you go first to get the Everton bias out of the way because I'm sure oh, that you're God. probably going to go with, with Everton win. Uh, so what do you think is going to happen Saturday Tom I'm aware of the audience, so I'm going to be very careful. <laughs> um, what you want?
2: No, I it, it's a really difficult game to predict, actually. Um, I expect Everton to avoid defeat, to be honest. Um, whether they have enough to win, I don't know. I think it's a really tricky
0: fixture. I'll go for a
2: entertaining 2 all draw.
0: I've also gone for a draw, I, I think one all So I'll take an entertaining game at Villa Park at least. But are you going to come in with the blind faith 3-0 Villa? Yeah,
1: I'm going to go blind optimist again and I'm going to go one nil but it's going to be a, like a set-piece goal. I think that's uh, where our goal is going to come from.
0: I'll take it. I'll take anyone at this stage. It'll be a, a big result for Villa if we get it. May not be coming up next, and and Chelsea in the cup as well. And um, David, as always, thank you very much for appearing on the Current Blue podcast. We uh, we well, I could certainly speak for myself, but love having you on. I'm pretty sure all the comments agree as well. So thank you very much.
2: Yeah, no, me Always enjoy it. Thank you.
0: Uh, and Pat, thank you for bringing the, the stats, the stats side to the to the show as well.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having
0: me. No problem. We'll see you again uh, next week, I'm sure. We'll be doing a post-match podcast. I don't know whether it'll be Saturday night because so it'll be a late one. Um, but if not, it'll certainly be by Monday. Um, so tune in to the, the show to, to see what we think of the Everton game. Hopefully three points. Uh, sorry, David. Thank you very much for watching and we'll catch you next week. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, and Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please do let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. But until then, up the villa.